Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. You heard the conversation I had a moment ago with Detective Kenny Bass from the Murray Police Department. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. In fact, when I, when I first became aware of this story on Friday, I, I couldn't believe it. I was so blown away by the skill required by the police officers involved to be able to maintain their composure and to act in a way that when faced with some uh, terrifying circumstances, they were able to read the situation in such a way that they were ultimately able to bring it to a conclusion with no one injured. Neither law enforcement nor suspects sustained a single injury. The story very quickly was this. There was a transgender woman uh, at a gas station in Murray. She took, the allegation goes, she takes a bottle of water at gunpoint. The clerk there calls the police who uh, turn out and are able to uh, locate the suspect not that long after the first call was made. Now, they had already, they, Murray police, had already received uh, some information indicating that this individual may be suicidal. So with all that information... They locate the suspect for more than an hour. Officers talked back and forth with the woman who at one point aimed her firearm at law enforcement and later fired around into the air. And even in the face of that, these officers were able to uh, understand and identify uh, the circumstance which was playing out before them, ultimately negotiating a peaceful surrender. Uh, The firearm was placed on the ground. The suspect was taken into custody. To help understand uh, the tactics that went into that hour of conversation back and forth between law enforcement and the suspect, I've invited to the program Mark Lowther, who spent uh, 24 years with the Weber County Sheriff's Office with a a varied and diverse background, uh, also serving as a SWAT hostage negotiator for the major portion of his career. Sir, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on the program. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for helping us understand exactly what goes into uh, bringing about the circumstance we learned about over the weekend to a peaceful conclusion. Uh, You're familiar with the details, uh, at least the publicly made details of this story. What do you... What do you, as you know, a, a, a trainer, someone who's experienced circumstances like this in the past, uh, when you are met with all of these details and are walking into a situation like this, what are the thoughts that are top of mind? Well, obviously we're concerned about the weapon, her state of mind, uh, with the fact of her being suicidal. Uh, if someone's uh, considering taking their life, uh, then they may be quite willing to injure you. Uh, also, that's a, a very, very, very high uh, alert factor for suicide by cop. Uh, you know, one of the things we learned uh, back in the academy is that every call a police officer responds to, whether it's a armed robbery or a barking dog call, is there's at least one firearm on the scene, which is ours. And so in some instances, people will create situations to initiate a police response because they know that we bring weapons with us as part of the job. And so those are some things that we always look at and consider. When a a negotiation ensues with an individual who's presented in the way that you've described, uh, what are the tactics taught? Well, we want to try, when possible, we want to try and stall and buy time. 
And it's really a team effort. Uh, a lot of times in Hollywood, they, they portray a scene as a lone negotiator arriving on scene and, and kind of doing the entire job uh, themselves. In reality, uh, negotiations are usually, when possible, done by around uh, five to six people. Uh, one person is actually communicating directly with the person, whether by phone or by voice, you know, face-to-face, those types of things. Another negotiator is what we call the coach and is coaching and assisting that primary negotiator. And then there's other negotiators gathering information or intel. Who is this person? Why are they doing what they're doing today? What's their background? Do they have a history of violence? Uh, what's led up to this incident today? And so in those situations, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. In some cases, yeah, it may be a lone negotiator, but uh, in most cases, we try to have a minimum of two and as many as five or six there uh, to really support the, the person doing the talking, or I should say listening, more importantly, uh, to try to get these successful outcomes. What is the, what's the, the state of mind you're attempting to induce, or you know, ultimately you, you'd like compliance, you'd like the threat to, uh, to come to an end, but uh, uh, where, what's the pathway you'd like to lead these suspects ultimately towards, uh, towards this peaceful end? Well, what we're trying to do is lower emotions. Uh, whether it's a barricaded uh, bank robber holding hostages or a suicidal person with a weapon or standing on a bridge, in many cases, emotions are elevated. And just by pure uh, physiological responses, almost all of us, whenever emotions are high, our rational decision-making is low. We don't make good rational decisions when we're in a high emotional state. So as a negotiator, what we're going to try to do when possible is slow things down, try to find out what this person's crisis is, and try to start opening up some some opportunities, some alternatives to the course of action they're taking. Uh, in suicide, uh, some people dwell and, and really consider suicide at length for a period of time, and other people it can be almost a spontaneous uh, reaction to a, a crisis event they're in. So what we kind of do is try to problem solve with them and try to look at, you know, you, you view uh, dying today as your only alternative, but have you considered this? Have you considered this? Have you considered this? You know, in many cases, there's some a multiple of uh, alternatives that uh, sometimes these, these individuals haven't considered. So we try to get their, their mind kind of in that mindset rather than in that emotional mindset of taking their life. In your bio, it includes a line that says that you were the primary negotiator during one of the first known hostage situations involving social media. If you wouldn't mind giving me a quick summary of that, but then also more generally, has technology and have cell phones and videos and such like that, how has that changed, if it has, uh, the approach to negotiating uh, a peaceful end to situations like the ones we've been discussing? Oh, yeah, technology's had a definite impact. Uh, the incident, uh, the social media incident, was an incident that took place in uh, 2012 in Ogden. Uh, what we had was a, a suspect that was wanted. He was a parolee, uh, was wanted on drug distribution charges. When uh, officers went to take him into custody in a motel parking lot, uh, he grabbed a, a female who was in the parking lot and uh, took her hostage and, and pulled her into his uh, motel room and held her hostage. And the incident lasted, I believe it was 16 hours. Uh this was in the early days of Facebook. I mean, it was around, but it wasn't as big as it is today. And we had never really considered a social media aspect to negotiations. 
And during this incident, he went on Facebook and posted, I believe it was nine or ten times, gave uh, updates on his Facebook page. And he even took two selfies of him and the hostage and uploaded them to Facebook. Uh, so on one aspect, we were gaining valuable information about him, his mindset and, and those types of things. But also, on the other hand, we were losing information because he did have some friends and supporters in the area who were also taking pictures or posting information about the location of personnel and equipment. So uh, it was definitely an eye-opening experience for us. Uh, as far as technology in general, uh, when I first became a negotiator, cell phones were the exception. Everybody had a landline or a home phone, and occasionally you would run into a cell phone. Today, it's almost exactly the opposite. Everyone has a cell phone, but only a few people have, have landlines. And so uh, in some cases, the technology benefits us. We don't have to worry about bringing our own phone in. In many cases, the subject already has a phone. But then we have to, to deal with, you know, is that person going to talk to us or are they going to ignore us and continue to call relatives, friends, family, stuff like that. So uh, with the landline, we could shut it right down so they could only talk to us. Mm-hmm. With a cell phone, we, we can do that, but we have to work through the cell phone uh, carriers, the providers, and that can take quite a little bit of time to accomplish in many cases. Fascinating. Uh, sir, Mark Lowther, my guest, thank you so much for uh, your, your insight and your expertise here. And uh, more than anything, your years of service in the U.S. Marine Corps, as well as your multiple decades of service with the Weber County Sheriff's Office. Thank you again for your time and your expertise and your service. Thanks for having me. All righty. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, uh, we are going to focus on the primary election, specifically the GOP race for governor. Over the past number of months, I've had occasion to speak with these four gentlemen on multiple occasions and ask them questions. I want to go back to the very beginning, the first conversations we had, you and me and these candidates on these airwaves, to see what they said at the beginning and how it compares to their attitudes today, if there have been any changes or if that adds any insight to your decision-making today uh, on the eve of the primary race here in the state of Utah. That is ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. And this is KSL News Radio.